Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be with you on Thanksgiving. It's uh, an enjoyable uh, holiday. It's actually a program that we enjoy putting together. It gives us a chance to talk about uh, the discovery of America. And many people, when they think, of course, of the discovery of America, they're thinking of Plymouth Rock. They don't think of the Catholic discovery of America. I want to spend a little bit of time on that um, before we get to uh, George Washington's um, declaration, Thanksgiving declaration, which I think is worth looking at. Father John Harden, the late Father John Harden, back in 1992, the 500th anniversary of Columbus's voyage, gave a lecture, a seven-lecture series on the Catholic discovery of America. And in that series, he, he, he tried to give some clarity as to what we mean by the Catholic discovery of America. We mean, first of all, America was discovered by Spain, a country that for 700 years had suffered martyrdom under Islam uh, for, for defending the Catholic faith. We mean the discovery of America was made possible by the apostolic zeal of Isabella I, the Catholic Queen of Spain. After seven centuries, the Moors were finally driven out of Spain in the year 1491, and 1492 came on the heels of seven centuries of martyrdom. We mean the discovery of America achieved by the Catholic genius of Christopher Columbus. And let me always stress, when we talk about the genius of Columbus— we're not talking about his impeccability. We're talking about it, not his perfection. We're talking about his genius. Uh, we also mean the discovery that was inspired by the Catholic vision of the Franciscans in Spain. Uh, without the Franciscans there, Columbus could never have been able to undertake his voyage to what became uh, the, quote, New World. And when we discuss the Catholic discovery of America, we're talking about uh, the planting uh, of the seed of the Catholic faith through the missionaries who evangelized the Americas. And Father Hardin points out, he being a Jesuit, how happy he was to say that uh, America, the Americas were covered with the blood of many martyrs, including his own uh, Jesuit brothers. When we're talking about the Catholic discovery of America, we mean the discovery that was blessed by Our Lady of Guadalupe. During the lifetime, by the way, of Fernando Columbus, the youngest son and biographer of Christopher Columbus. When we talk about the Catholic discovery of America, we mean the discovery that was seen by the popes uh, as we have a new dawn, a new era of Catholic evangelization in the 15th and 16th centuries. We mean the discovery that should inspire us to preserve, to purify, and to promote the faith that so many of our forebearers since 1492 have labored, suffered, and died so that we might be believing Catholics today. You know, there are many people who uh, 
look upon the discovery of the, quote, new world as uh, not a very noble uh, venture. We don't have time uh, to answer all the objections. Uh, But we believe that in divine providence, the discovery of America was not a coincidence. It isn't coincidental that the uh, Christian faith became vital to the Americas. Um, And just before his ascension to heaven, our Lord told his disciples, you will be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's what we see. Uh, Again, we don't expect in our forebears to be perfect people, but we don't want to uh, squander their legacy to us. And right now, many people don't take seriously the Catholic discovery of America. And with that in mind, though, let's turn to the Feast of Thanksgiving, and uh, because that's associated not with the Catholic discovery of America, but really with the uh, the English pilgrims and the feast that we call Thanksgiving. And that was, uh, oh, what, 125 or so years after the Columbus voyage to the uh, New World. As we uh, warm up for our Thanksgiving interviews today, go back to the Thanksgiving proclamation of George Washington, 1789, October 3rd. I want to actually read it because I think it's important not just to talk about uh, what some of these uh, historical figures did, but it's also important to read what they wrote so we get a feel for how they, well, how they presented themselves and what they were comfortable saying and sometimes what they weren't comfortable saying. But here it is. Uh, it's not that long. By the President of the United States of America, of America a proclamation Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Just point out, notice, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. This was not a controversial thought at the time. I should point that out. It was widely thought by leaders of all the Western nations, that they had an obligation uh, to rule by the providence of Almighty God. So, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection, and whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks 
for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experience in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one, now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general, for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people, by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally, to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the city of New York, the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1789, George Washington. So there you have it. It's quite a different uh, tone and content than we expect from American presidents today. Uh, the directness of his confidence, right, about uh, God's providence, God's judgment, and the necessity of giving thanks for particular things that the uh, colonists had uh, experienced, I think is a great demonstration of Washington's leadership. And I would say his personal faith. Now, people sometimes complain that he was not in any ways, uh, in any way an Orthodox Christian uh, he refused to take the Eucharist at the Anglican services. He was a vestryman in his Anglican congregation. But, uh, you know, I, I don't have any uh, anything, so he did. Uh, so take him for what he is. Uh, he may not be the most orthodox Christian around, but he certainly was a man who believed in divine providence and in a final judgment and in God's governance and benevolence. So... Uh, and he made it was enough to motivate him to lead the American people in such a prayer. So I like to bring out again these uh, moments in American history which remind us from whence we came. And this being Thanksgiving, I'd like to just take a look at how Thanksgiving actually functions in our spiritual life. Uh, not exhaustively, but I want to make a particular point about anxiety and worry and how thanksgiving uh, is given to us by the writers of the New Testament as a way of dealing with uh, anxiety and worry. And, you know, we all know we're living in a world in which many things seem random and out of our control, and anxiety is not something we wish for, but we end up feeling. 
how does Thanksgiving help us dealing with worry, dealing with anxiety? And I want to begin by just talking about uh, what Jesus taught us in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, I'll read uh, at some length from uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus has just finished uh, his statements. No one can serve two masters. He, He will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or God and money. Therefore, so that whenever there's a therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. And the therefore follows Jesus' statement that, look, you can't have it both ways. You've got to make a choice. You're going to serve God, or you're going to serve temporal prosperity. Therefore, having laid out for you your two choices— Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. In other words, he's trying to make it easy for us here. He's trying to say, don't make temporal provision. Don't make money your God. Because you don't need to worry because God will provide. So let me read at length. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Modern translations often use the phrase, look at the birds of the air. I like the older translation. It's actually more, it, it keeps in mind the Greek of the passage better. Consider the birds of the air. In other words, ponder this. Don't just look, but, but think about it. Reflect on it. Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the valley grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So again, this is really an extension of what Jesus has taught, that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon, God and money, God and temporal prosperity. And he gives us a reason for that. We don't have to go serving mammon or money, or temporal prosperity, because God will provide. Uh, And this is, in fact, the antidote for anxiety. Uh, You know, no one wants to be anxious. You don't get up in the morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to enjoy being anxious today. Anxiety, worry, is is just not all that voluntary. Uh, There are things we can do to avoid anxiety, But telling someone not to be anxious is a little like telling a depressed person, you know, uh, just to buck up and get happy. 
it's, it's just you just don't do it. it, it it's not done that way. Uh, now, somebody, you can choose not to eat a piece of chocolate cake, right? Um, but to choose not to be anxious is of a, di- a different sort. Uh, we don't just say no to anxiety. We have to have strategies to avoid anxiety. And Jesus is pointing out that our anxiety and our worry comes from having the wrong fix on life. Um, and he has a way of avoiding anxiety. And it comes back again to knowing God, knowing his love for us, knowing his provision for us. And so much of what we worry about are things that ultimately we can't control. You know, the one thing that uh, psychologist Rollo May pointed out in his book on the meaning of anxiety, the one thing we can't control ultimately is death. It is the final no that God gives us to remind us that we don't control the universe. He does. And Jesus points this out too. Who of you can add a single day to your lifespan? So underneath all of our anxieties, the ultimate worry or anxiety is death. And Jesus has himself brought forth the very wonderful fact that death has been overcome And he is victorious, even in that final negation that we all must face. But Christians do not have to go through death like those who have no hope. We face the ultimate fear, the ultimate anxiety, the ultimate worry by uniting ourselves to the one who has already pioneered and walked us through that greatest negation, death itself. To me, that's a great reason to be thankful today. I'm Al Creston.